Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. Heads up that you also might hear two different hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. With that said, on with the show. Welcome to this day in history class. It's July 10th. Happy birthday to Nikola Tesla, one of the internet's very favorite historical figures, who was born during a huge thunderstorm on this day in 1856. It makes total sense why the internet would love him. Number one, he was brilliant. He spoke at least eight languages. Even as a small child, he was very bright, very imaginative, loved to just immerse himself in his father's library. He loved science and math and was so good at doing complicated math in his head that once he actually got to go to school, his teachers sometimes accused him of cheating. His father, though, was an Orthodox priest and wanted Tesla to follow him into the priesthood. Tesla finally got his father to agree to send him to Austrian Polytechnic School after he became seriously ill with cholera. He basically got his dad to promise that if he survived this disease, he would get to go to school. Tesla was also prolific in his work, and so many of his inventions had a dramatic effect on our lives and our technology today. He was issued hundreds of patents, and the alternating current induction motor, of course, is a part of basically all of the electronic appliances in our lives now. Alternating current is the kind of current that's delivered in through the outlets in our houses. He also conceived of things that exist today, but seemed totally far-fetched during his time. He had a high-frequency oscillator that people described as an earthquake machine. He thought about wireless power transmission and wireless communications. Uses of x-rays, smartphones, radar, radio astronomy. Some of this seems totally far-fetched even now. There was a thought camera. Today, that seems still like science fiction. This was an artificial retina that could display people's thoughts on the screen. There are scientists now that have come up with a number of ways to sort of translate people's thoughts into some kind of projected image. And that was a thing that he was imagining as a possibility way back then. Not all of the things that he worked on had this sort of happy, optimistic Star Trek kind of future quality to them. There was also a death beam. Uh, And like a lot of people at the time, he was a proponent of eugenics. He had a plan in mind that could weed out all of the so-called undesirables from humanity by the year 2100. Apart from that, though, people love to root for an underdog. And even though Tesla wasn't exactly an underdog, his story does have some of those traits. There's that whole story about Thomas Edison offering to pay him $50,000 to work on something. And when he finished it, Thomas Edison was like, oh, that was a joke. You would get it if you were a real American. There's this colossally far-reaching and expansive war of the currents over whether alternating or direct current was the one that was going to dominate the American technology. He sent a wireless radio transmission in 1897, but an inventor named Guglielmo Marconi is the person who actually got the credit and the Nobel Prize for inventing radio. Tesla was overshadowed by both of these men, Edison and Marconi alike, and the fact that by the end of his career he was in debt, not particularly well known for his work, had not made money on a lot of his inventions, makes people think of him as an underdog. He was also pretty eccentric. Today there is In addition, a a lot of speculation about whether he had a mental illness or a developmental disorder or a mood disorder, he definitely had a lot of symptoms that fit in with what we would call obsessive compulsive disorder today. He was very fixated on hygiene and had some unusual phobias and an aversion to things like pearls. 
Near the end of his life, Tesla lived in the New Yorker Hotel in New York City. Sometimes people wonder how he afforded to live in a hotel, and it's because George Westinghouse was actually paying that bill. He died on January 7th of 1943 at the age of 86. Today, there is a unit of magnetic induction named for him, along with multiple Tesla museums, including the Tesla Science Center at Wardenclyffe, which was created through a massively successful crowdfunding effort on the internet. Thanks to Eve's Jeff Coat for her research work on today's episode and Tari Harrison, who edits all of these episodes. You can learn more about Tesla in the February 4th and 6th, 2013 episodes of Stuff You Missed in History Class. They are called Nikola Tesla and the War of the Currents, Part 1 and 2. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for an incredible series of voyages. Hey, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was July 10th, 1902. Nicolas Guillén was born in Camagüey, Cuba, the sixth child of Argelia Batista y Arrieta and Nicolas Guillén y Urra. By the time he died in 1989, Guillén was a celebrated Afro-Cuban poet, writer, and activist. Both of Guillén's parents were of African and Spanish descent. His father had been a lieutenant that helped Cuba gain independence from Spain. And when Guillén was born, his father was a journalist. Guillén's father supported the Partido Libertad, or Liberal Party of Cuba, and created a paper called La Libertad. Nicolás and his younger brother ran the printing press after school. In 1909, Guillén's father became a senator. But in 1917, the Cuban government assassinated Guillén's father for speaking out against electoral fraud and destroyed his printing press. Guillén was close to his father, and the death affected the family greatly. Nicolás and his brother found work at another liberal paper. Though the family was struggling financially, he was able to complete his secondary education while he worked full-time. Racial inequality, segregation, and discrimination against Afro-Cubans and people of mixed race were prevalent in pre-revolutionary Cuba. Guillén experienced this discrimination and racism firsthand, and he wrote about it. By the time he was 17 years old, his poetry was published in the Camagüey Gráfico. In 1920, he moved to Havana to attend law school, but he was only there for a year. He went back to Camagüey and decided to pursue writing instead. In his work, he explored Black social issues, folklore, and revolution. He began writing for Cuban newspapers and magazines and founded his own literary magazine. In 1925, he took a job as interior minister and returned to Cuba. Around this time, he began to publish poems in the journal Orto. The theme of U.S. imperialism popped up a lot in his poetry. And in the Sunday supplement of the Diario de la Marina, Guillén published several articles on the treatment of Black Cubans and racial injustice. In 1930, Guillén met American poet Langston Hughes, and the two of them would become lifelong friends. Hughes' love of music influenced Guillén to incorporate into his poetry elements of the song, a musical folk tradition with Spanish and African roots. 
Guillen soon wrote eight poems inspired by the Son. In that same year, he released Motivos de Son, which was his second book of poems, but his first to be published. He had already written a collection of poems titled Cerebro y Corazón, but it wasn't published until 1977. Motivos de Son garnered Guillen a lot of attention and critical acclaim. The poetry combined African Creole dialects and language with Spanish poetic traditions, and it called attention to Black culture and life. Though Guillen had already been criticizing the mistreatment of Black Cubans, he began to protest racism and imperialism in a way that uplifted his own heritage and celebrated Black life. Throughout the 1930s, he published more poetry, including the book Songoro Kosongo, Poemas Mulatos, and West Indies Limited Poemas. When the Spanish Civil War started in 1937, he went to Spain to report on it. Inspired by his time in the war, he wrote the narrative epic poem, España, Poema en Cuatro Angustias y Una Esperanza. While in Spain, he also acted as a delegate to the anti-fascist Second International Congress of Writers for the Defense of Culture. He also joined the Cuban Communist Party. In 1940 and 1948, respectively, Guillén lost elections for the mayor of Camagüey and senator for the Cuban Communist Party. Over the next couple of decades, Guillén spent a lot of time in Europe and South America, during which time he continued to write for Cuban journals. Fulgencio Batista Izaldivar was president of Cuba in the 1940s and dictator in the 1950s. Guillén, who opposed his oppressive rule, was arrested several times under the regime. Batista barred Guillén from returning to Cuba in 1953 after his trip to Chile, but he was allowed to return in 1958. Guillén supported Fidel Castro and his 1959 overthrow of Batista's dictatorship. In 1961, Guillén was appointed president of the Union of Writers and Artists, a position he served in for 25 years. He continued to write and published several more collections of poetry, touching topics like revolution, social protest, love, nature, and imperialism. Sol de Domingo, his last collection, came out in 1982. Guillén died on July 16, 1989. Guillén is remembered as the national poet of Cuba and as a writer and activist who reaffirmed Black culture and was a voice of the Cuban Revolution. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at TDIHC Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you for joining me today. See you same place, same time tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.